Fascinating people, insightful stories, an hour of enlightenment. This is Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. Conspiracy theories are as old as politics, but conspiracists today have introduced something new, conspiracy without theory. And this new kind of conspiratorial thinking has moved from the fringes to the heart of government with the election of Donald Trump. Are we living in a golden age of conspiracy theories? Our guest today says these theories are not only thriving, they're also getting more absurd, less substantive, and harder to refute. Thank you so much, Russell Muirhead, for being here today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here, Charlie. Thank you. Well, the new book that he co-authored with Nancy Rosenblum is A Lot of People Are Saying, The New Conspiracism and the Assault on Democracy. Russell Muirhead is the Robert Clements Professor of Democracy and Politics at Dartmouth College and also the author of the books The Promise of Party in a Polarized Age and Just Work. Will you write about how a new kind of conspiratorial thinking has taken hold in American democracy in your new book with Nancy? So explain how that way of thinking about conspiracies is really different from what most people would consider sort of traditional conspiracy theories. Yeah, forever. You know, the words conspiracy and theory went together. You could hardly hear one without the other. And in fact, we we call it just about anybody who who makes a conspiratorial allegation a conspiracy theorist um and and you know conspiracy theories go back all the way to to the american revolution you could even say that the declaration of independence itself is a kind of conspiracy theory that says that great britain the power the rulers in great britain were conspiring um through a long train of abuses to extinguish liberty in north america so conspiracy theories, you know, very familiar, very common. Sometimes they're wrong, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're a weird mix of the two. What Nancy and I noticed trying to make sense of the political world around us today in the United States is that more and more conspiratorial allegations came with no theory whatsoever. Sometimes they come in just a single word, like rigged, exclamation point. You know, the election was rigged. And... And it, I'll tell you, it was hard for us to make sense of this because in that kind of, you know, conspiratorial charge, there's no, there, there, there's nothing about the world that's begging for an explanation. Um, you know, it's weird to have the winner of election of an election say that the election was rigged. Um, you know, what, what was it about the election that didn't make sense? Was it, what, what, what did people view? What improprieties did, did people witness? Um, and, you know, the classic conspiracy theory always starts with something that's hard to make sense of. How could one person have assassinated the, the president of the United States, John F. Kennedy? It seems like the cause had to be bigger than that. The government must have been in on it, says a conspiracy theorist. Um, or there was not just one lone actor, one lone gunman. That makes sense of how an event of, of such world historical importance um, must have been caused by something, a, a bigger, more powerful cause than one lone gunman. So conspiracy theory is always starting with something that's hard to understand and then, you know, offers a theory, connects the dots, gathers evidence like an investigative journal, journalist to, to really make an explanation. Um, and again, you know, many of them are, I think, on balance, unconvincing. Some of them turn out to be very true. 
But in any case, they are explanations as opposed to something like, oh gosh, Charlie, like how about Pizzagate? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, what is that making sense of? The idea that John Podesta and Hillary Clinton are running a you know, child sex trafficking ring out of a, a pizzeria? Um, that didn't have a basement. Yeah, right. Running it out of the basement, but it didn't have a basement. So, so it's really just a concoction. It's not a theory. It's just a fabulation. It's just a, it's a, it's sheer invention. So it's a ball, you know, it's an assertion. Well, Russell, you argue that this kind of, I, I would call it simplistic reasoning, is very different from traditional sort of partnership wrangling on the left and the right, which, which can be healthy for our democracy. Talk more about that. Yeah, I mean, both Nancy and I are students of political parties and, um, and the partisan clash in American politics. And, and I tell you, she and I appreciate um, the, big, the great debate more than a lot of people. I mean, especially in an age of intensified polarization, we we sometimes see a certain kind of creativity and and usefulness to a real debate in politics. It's frustrating. It's sure frustrating. It makes it hard to get things done. Sometimes it can become debilitating and too extreme. But on the whole, any vital democracy is going to have an argument in it, if not many arguments. The thing about this, even though the new conspiracism the, the conspiracy without the theory sort of seems to be coming from the extreme right is that it's not really part of the ideological or value clash or policy clash in the United States at all. Um, if anything, it, it, it gets, it gets a new kind of different kind of, you know, polarization in motion. Uh, it's like a polarization about what it means to know something. And where, where one side doesn't need data, doesn't want data, doesn't want evidence, doesn't believe in facts, and the other side tries to understand the world. And, and that's a much more corrosive, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a polarization that's much harder to bridge than the traditional gap between liberals and conservatives. I mean, that makes us wonder whether we're really living in the same world. Well, a conspiracy theory, I'm, I want to just kind of wrap my mind around this completely, isn't necessarily wrong because it's a conspiracy theory. You mentioned some are actually proven to be right. But, but what makes it wrong is because it's an attempt to take this very complex and complicated event and just sort of mash it into a broader narrative framework. Is that correct? Yeah, what we'd say is that classic conspiracy theories are trying to make sense of the world. They're trying, they start with something like an anomaly or something that doesn't make sense, and then they gather a lot of evidence, just like an investigative journalist or a scientist, mm-hmm. um, and then they come up with a theory about how the world really works. They try to unmask power and make it visible. I'll give you a quick example. Um, 9-11, uh, the 9-11, what they call truthers, or, or the architects and engineers for 9-11, you can go to the website today, there's a lot of data, a lot of putative engineering evidence on that, um, and it argues that the United States government was in on the planning for 9-11. And we look at that as a classic conspiracy theory. Might be right, might be wrong, might be a mix of the two. You've got to look into the data with an open mind, believe it or not, to, to figure it out. Contrast that with um, conspiracy without the theory, Pizzagate, which just says, it just asserts something. 
Um, you know, Hillary Clinton running a, an international child sex trafficking ring. There's no data. There's no evidence. There's no argument. There's nothing in the world that's, you know, not making sense. All it does is function to paint Hillary Clinton as a sort of people, a sort of person, you know, who's even more evil than a Nazi. She, she literally would torture children. That's the only effect of it is to make her into the like repository of pure evil. Um, you know, the nine 11 thing is a theory and, um, and I can, I'll tell you, I, I know I, I have friends who believe it and I can sit down and we can argue it out in terms of the evidence. The, you know, Pizzagate has no evidence. There's no theory. Well, Russell, um, it's just sheer assertion. Russell, let's talk about who conspiracy theorists are and, you know, from the difference between what we would consider like friends that you could have a conversation with <laughs> to these new folks. I mean, they seem to be people who have rejected the world, you know, that they don't really fit in and, and the theories themselves, you know, kind of offer a way to kind of make sense of things for them and, and invert the cause of the problem. Like if I'm unhappy or marginalized, it's not really my fault. It's all this shadowy forces of the world that are aligned against me, which almost sounds like mental illness to me. So, you know, not to mention it gives that person, that conspiracy theorist, who's kind of the new version of them, a sense of power and authority, you know, that they understand what's really going on. And in no way, you know, no one else really knows that but them. Yeah, there's a kind of cognoscenti. You know, you're, you're in on it. You're in on the secret. You, you know how the world really works. And, and so to be in the grips of a conspiratorial uh, mindset can be kind of satisfying in that way. It can, it can give you the feeling like you understand things other people don't. Um, and that may be attractive to different people at different times in their lives. I mean, um, I, I'll tell you again, I mean, we, I, I believe it or not, Charlie, I respect conspiracy theories. I think they need to be taken seriously. If people in Flint say that people have conspired to, to lie about the toxic water supply, um, government in particular is conspiring to lie to them about it. I think that's a claim that should be investigated. And it's one that as it turns out was true. Um, might've seemed kind of crazy, you know, at first, why would the government be lying about poison water? But it turned out to be true. Um, so sometimes conspiracy theorists get it right. What I'm noticing in the new conspiracy without the theory is um, there's no standard of evidence. There's no facts. There's no effort to get it right. And uh, there's no way you could, you could check on the theory because there is no theory. And what it's really aiming to do is not, you know, explain the world or, or bring power to account. What it's really aiming to do, I think, is to um, delegitimate the government, um, to delegitimate the practice of democratic politics by making the opposition party look like a conspiracy of evildoers. And, uh, and, and that's, I think, the function of something like Pizzagate as opposed to, you know, classic conspiracy theory. So I'm not the type of person who's going to say, yeah, all conspiracy theorists are, you know, suffering from some sort of cognitive whatever, psychological defect. You know, I don't know, some are. Some, it's hard to say. Certainly that might be true in some cases, but, but I, again, conspiracy theories, I think, you know, we need to take them seriously and look into them and see what they're about. Some of them are deeply flawed understandings. Some of them might be right. 
I'm more worried about this conspiracy without the theory that's aiming directly at the practices of democracy. Well, Russell, why do you think it seems like the conspiracism of today at least is portrayed broadly as a mostly right-wing phenomenon? Or is that just is it just the amount of press is, is kind of lopsided because we have a Republican president in the White House and he sucks up so much oxygen in the room with, in the press? Yeah, I think, you know, part, a lot of it has to do, of course, with suspicion of the government and of the state. And I think the extreme right that would really like to dismantle, you know, large swaths of the government is a little bit more ready to agree with a conspiratorial accusation that, you know, targets a government agency. Um, So that's one reason, um, you know, why conspiratorial accusations that target the Federal Reserve or the Census Bureau, the Bureau of Economic, you know, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, you might find there's going to be more uptake um, on the right. So far, I would say that people on the left really still like conspiracy theories, um, you know, an investigative journalist style of conspiratorial thinking. And, you know, the idea that uh, Trump colluded with the Russians is kind of a conspiracy theory. There's an argument. There's an effort to collect evidence. Um, it may be proven right or turns out to be uncorroborated. Um, you can kind of test it. It's not just saying, hey, there's something going on. Hey, a lot of people are saying. Um, it's not just broadcasting an assertion without any evidence. So the new stuff, conspiracy without the theory aimed at the government, you see more of it on the right and the left. That's where it's coming from right now. But I don't know. Maybe that'll change. You know, maybe Democrats will pick it up, too. Maybe maybe the extreme left will pick it up, too. And maybe we'll start seeing this conspiracy without the theory coming from both sides. Maybe from the far left, it will be aimed more at you know banks or corporations and a little bit less at the government. But I'll tell you, I, I really think our politics will be better with, with a lot less of this, whether it's from the right or the left. Well, is there something about the way we are in the world today and how we communicate and acquire information on the internet and social media and just this 24-hour nonstop news cycle from every angle of every fake news website to real news websites? And has that lowered the bar for conspiracy theories? I mean, I mean yeah, it seems like... Yeah, such an interesting question. Yeah, such an interesting question. You know, I think, I think you're onto it. I mean, I think... There's just been this revolution in communications technology, and it's it's inspiring, and it's extraordinary, and it's also, you know, possibly very destabilizing or dangerous. When, not that long ago, you know, when I very recent history, when I was a say a graduate student, if I wanted to just communicate with all political scientists in the country, and believe it or not, there are very few of us, ten thousand or something, it would have cost me thousands of dollars to make the copies and fold the pages and stuff them into envelopes and buy the stamps and dress them, take a lot of time and cost a lot of money. If I wanted to get my voice out on the radio, I would have had to get past a producer. If I wanted to get my words out into a newspaper or magazine, I would have had to get past an editor. And, and now the, the, the fact that I can put something on Twitter, I can, I can post something on, on YouTube and billions of people all over the world can see it for free. Is, is, you know, extraordinary. It means those old gatekeepers, the producers and the editors who said, hey, that doesn't make sense. I'm not going to run it. They have been kind of displaced. And that's what's opened things up, I think, to this 
to this new new kind of conspiracy without the theory. Well, you argue pretty forcefully, and a lot of people are saying that this new version of uh, conspiracism is a very direct threat to the very foundations of our democratic society, and few public officials are really speaking truth to it. Talk more about that, and why are they being silent? You know, it's such a good question, and I wonder sometimes. I mean, it, it, it could be that they're cowed. I mean, right now, I really think that Republican officials are, in, in particular, in a very powerful position with respect to this. I think when they speak truth to conspiracy, it really has an effect. I think back in the day when, when, when John McCain, at his rally, said, no, no, man, let me tell you, um, Barack Obama is not a foreign citizen. He's an American, and he's a good American. He and I have very serious policy differences. And I don't think he should be president, but he's a very good man, and he's, he's a good American. When, when, when John McCain spoke truth to conspiracy, to the birthers, it made a difference. Because he has a kind of credibility with the people who, whose worldviews incline them to want to believe the conspiracy. So, I, I, I mean, I think there's a, so much potential for, for office holders, especially ones who understand their constituents, understand their base, um, to, to have a really effective role here. And, and why aren't they? Why do we see so much resident, re, reticence? Well, you know, why are they so cowed? I think, I think you know, right now, um, I, I think that they're really worried about um, getting challenged in a primary. They're really worried about going the direction of Jeff Flake. And, and so I think the political world may need to change just a little bit to, to kind of empower and uh, our, our public officials and make them a little bit more courageous. We'll talk about some of the things that you write about in the book that need to be done to resist this new conspiracism. And, and how do we reason with conspiracy theorists when we have them face to face with us? You know, that's a, uh, Nancy and I have talked about that a lot, and we've looked at a lot of the psychological evidence to see, you know, what works. And you know what we've decided? We really decided it's not, it's not really that important to persuade someone who's in the grips of a conspiratorial understanding. They're not really the relevant audience. What really matters is to speak to those who are hearing the conspiratorial charge, but don't yet really believe it. They're the ones who might be persuaded. They're the ones who might be moved. And, and here's where, you know, as you said, we, we really think it's important to speak truth to conspiracy. We also think it's re- you know, a lot of stuff that people think for a little while they thought didn't work, turns out to work very powerfully, like fact-checking. The industry of fact-checking in, in you know, newspapers around the country turns out makes a big difference. We think, that, um, we, we, we think that there are ways of invigorating and calling out the common sense of ordinary Americans so that they, they resist ideas that, that really are so fabulous that they strain common sense. And, and I'll tell you, you know, so long as common sense is intact, then there's hope for democracy. But if we lose our common sense, anything goes. And, and there's no saying what a dem- democracy might do. Well, I've long said uh, for these kinds of cuckoo things that are off the wall that people say that sunlight is the best uh, medicine that when you, you know, turn the rock over 
you yeah. know, and you, turn the rock over. Yeah, turn the rock over, <laughs> and and let's look and see what the sunlight reveals. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Russell Muirhead is our guest. His uh, new book that he co-authored with Nancy Rosenblum is A Lot of People Are Saying, The New Conspiracism and the Assault on Democracy. Thank you so much for being here today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. You're so welcome, Charlie. It's It's been a real pleasure. And in fact, I'm very flattered you invited me to come on. Thank you. I'd like to know what you think of Conversations. Write me an email to charlie.dyer at ihubradio.com. I'm Charlie Dyer. Thank you for listening.